0: Mind, Crime, Liberty Show with me, Swithin Dobson, and him, Tim Patton. Today we discuss what is a good environment? So, what got me thinking about this topic is if you listen to a lot of environmentalists, they all go, Oh no, we are destroying the environment, climate change is, is destroying the world, and things are going bad. And every time I think about this, I go, Well, okay, if things are getting worse and the environment's getting worse, what is a good environment, because you can't say that the environment is getting worse unless you have a standard of comparison to say whether the environment is a good thing, uh, what well, what a good environment would be. Um, this is a similar approach that Alex Epstein makes in his debates on uh, climate change, on global warming, is that he claims that uh, his opponents don't really have a standard of, of morality or comparison to say. You know whether something is good or bad or not now um i would like to go a little bit deeper today and see you know w- w- in a more broad sense um what would be a good environment to live in so tim um, what would you so of, firstly on the climate aspect ideally what climate would you like to live live in what kind of temperatures would you would you, would you enjoy the most
1: this is probably the most interesting discussion of weather Weather's usually annoying small talk discussion that I've ever had. Uh, Probably it's probably like something like Virginia, which is here in the United States, is 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 mean somewhere with has maybe ten months of you don't get the hot summers and you don't get the really cold winters. Um, It's a fairly temperate place. Um, um, It's not particularly humid either. That would probably be my ideal climate, although although. I'm not opposed to snow either, um, and and the people who like winter sports, I do. I I, I can perfectly see why uh, winter sports are interesting. So so my I would say something like Virginia, where it's where it's uh it's never you have some kind of a winter, but for the most part it's fairly mild. Uh, that would be my answer to the ideal environment question.
0: If you look online, say, you know, which places in the world have the best climate? Uh, one of the places that comes up high, I think I pronounce it Loxa, but I'm not sure it's spelt L-O-J-A in Ecuador. That that tends to appear because basically it's the same climate all year. It's uh, 73 or 23 for uh, the metric uh, listeners. Basically, all year is like the average daily high. Uh, and so it's, it's warm, but it's not too hot. And um, it doesn't really get below uh, 43 or six degrees any time of the year. So it's just very temperate climate, which is the same all year round. Now, that sounds quite nice. But for me, I think that's a little bit boring uh, because there's not really much change. I mean, ideally, what I would like would be to have a situation where you had summers which were dry and warm probably around you know 75 um something like that maybe seven below 80 around the you know, high 70s so like 25 degrees or something like that 24 and then you know you can get rainier and milder like uh, autumns and uh, springs and then a cold winter but colder by which i mean you can regularly get snow but not too cold you don't want it to be like crazily cold you don't want it to be are minimally cold so that you know you can get a regular decent amount of snow and so what you do is it's really great variation in climate throughout the year but without radically cold temperatures or astonishingly hot temperatures so not like somewhere like um Chicago for instance where Chicago is crazy it's astonishingly cold in the winter but really really hot in uh, the summer That, that that's excessive uh, so that's the kind of thing I would like. You get this nice variety of um, of different um, uh, weather patterns, and so you can you can see the world changing around you. That's what I would uh, go for myself. So moving on from the um, on the weather uh, aspect directly, um, what about topography? Which you may or may not have considered before. Would you like to be near mountains, rivers, lakes, marshlands, plains? Is there anything there that you think would be you particularly like? The, the
1: place, uh, uh, the place that is probably the I would probably pick mountains if you're asking me to uh go through a a a uh, menu of op, uh, of options, but uh I, I i'm not opposed to water either so I, anything goes
0: okay to so go for mountains yeah i i, I think mountains I, I, I suppose i would go for something like um probably coastal with some mountains nearby rivers are always interesting uh don't really want marshland marshlands a pain and you get loads of uh bugs. And I I believe I think mosquitoes tend to um predominate around those areas. And they're unpleasant, I so they didn't like those. So I don't really want those. Uh but uh mountains, you know, lakes are okay. I mean again, maybe a little bit variety, I think possibly a little bit more about that. But I, I always thought, you know, maybe on a, a nice coastal area with some mountains nearby, that could be quite interesting and an interesting place. Um to live. Now, slightly different approach. Now, so I suppose we've got this ideal environment that I've got and Tim's got. Now, Tim, would you want the whole world to have the same climate as Virginia, and would you like the whole world to be mountainous?
1: No, and no. Why not? Something different.
0: Okay. So, do you think it'd be somewhat boring? Yes. If it was all like that.
1: I would think it'd be something boring.
0: Let's suppose you did have that all, all um, the worldwide. Who would that be good for and who might that be bad for?
1: Are you asking if you had that same climate all around the world?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah same, same climate, temperature. Maybe you could ignore the mountains to some extent, but I yeah, suppose you could put those in. Who would that be good for and who would that be bad for?
1: This is this is a very strange hypothetical to imagine. Um, I, I mean, for one thing, Ironically, if you made the climate the same, all the it would actually destroy biodiversity. Uh, if you made the climate the same, you, you couldn't get different types of animals uh, or different types of topography. Um, I, I'm i not really on I, that. That's this is. I No, I, I I don't know how to answer that. Sorry.
0: Well, no. The thing is, neither would I. I wouldn't want to have the same temperature all the way around the world or the same topography. Because, again, that would be boring. And as you point out with biodiversity, there would be certain creatures that can't live in relatively warm weather climates. Um, and so I was doing a bit of research for this. And so, for instance, uh, there's arguments that say uh, because the world water temperature is going up, apparently, in the seas. You know, this is causing uh, fish like the, um, the cod to move and, and go further north where the water is colder because that's what they're, um, th- they thrive better in. And some warm water um, um warm water uh, seas they do less well in so they move so clearly if you were going to um make the world warmer overall and that'd be good for certain that'd be bad for certain uh, creatures on the other hand though if you were to decide that well what kind of uh, environment you liked was i don't know maybe the, the uh, general temperatures in, in Iceland, for instance, maybe Reykjavik, then this would then harm lots of uh, warm weather uh, creatures, uh, such as um, probably various type of bear. Now, of course, you get polar bears, uh, birds of various kinds. You know, and they would be made um, they they would be made uh, worse off. So, having the um, Having the uh, temperature the same all the way around the world is kind of um, not immediately, obviously good. And so, again, it's going to be difficult to say what constitutes a good sort of world temperature or world climate as such. So, Tim, a slightly different question related to this, which would be um, what do you prefer? Do you prefer forests or do you prefer fields? For farming uh for, like farmers' fields more precisely, do you have any preference on what you like more
1: i I don't really have any preference with this
0: no preference We've, no the reason I ask this is a lot of environmentalists will go, oh no, farming bad uh you know we, oh, we don't have much biodiversity uh in um, crop fields and things like that. Uh, what we really want is forest, and what you you'll find is um, is that if you leave nature to its own devices, basically it'll turn into trees and it become forested. But as Matt Ridley pointed out in a relatively recent essay, um, there's a particular bird types which thrive in arable farmland. So in particular, he points out to birds such as yellowhammers and linnets, um, and so. If you were to oh get rid of this farming because this is an imposition on um, this is an imposition on nature and the environment, what you would end up with with would be fewer birds. Now, of course, you might get more uh, voles or other, uh, or even the hedgerows. Um, you would get more creatures which were um, more creatures that thrive better in forests. So, you uh, know, maybe deer or Uh, various types of bugs that they would do better. But then, of course, the birds would do worse. So you've kind of got uh, a particular problem here, which is, well, we can have have a climate which is good for a certain type of creature, but it'd be bad for something else. And so if the environmentalist wants to say, oh, well, well, oh, no, this is going to be bad for this different type of bird or this is a skewer type of creature. The question then arises, well, well, why? Uh, which species should we prioritize over others? I mean, it's not immediately obvious that, oh, more yellow hammers uh, is better or worse, than more uh, deer or um, I don't know, wild boar, for instance. I mean, that's not immediately. Obvious. I mean, how would you how would you decide? Uh, What was better? Uh, It doesn't seem to me to be immediately um, obvious. Um, I suppose what you could do is you could have a criterion of maximum biodiversity. But the problem then is. But which creatures? So, for instance, uh, in England, we don't have any wolves anymore and we don't have any bears. Well, why is that? We killed them. Which means now that you can go to the forest and um, you're not going to get attacked by a bear. You're not going to be attacked by a wolf. Now, depending on your point of view, you could say it's a good thing or a bad thing. But, I mean, you could take it a step further. I mean, oh, I suppose you could say them have a part in the ecosystem. But I mean, um, you know, do you want mosquitoes? Are mosquitoes? Oh, oh no, A better example. Tim, in America, do you have wasps?
1: Yes, we do have wasps.
0: Does anybody know what the point of wasps are? I mean,
1: Um,
0: I'm not sure. Do do they do anything useful? I mean, would the world be a a, a worse place if you were to just genocide the entirety of wasps and replace them with bees?
1: That I'm not sure about.
0: I, I, I'm I'm not an expert, but it seems to me, but what is the point of wasps? They're just unpleasant. They're aggressive and they sting me. Again, I could be wrong here. They may have a point to some extent. The problem is maximum biodiversity doesn't seem to me to be a, um, a viable criterion, especially as well if we start talking about uh, bacteria. Because bacteria, if a standard biological definition is alive, do we want bacteria? Do we want the, um, oh, the Black Death, which is a bacteria? Should we keep black death around because we need to maximise biodiversity? Wouldn't seem to me to be a um, particularly good idea because you never know; it could be in a lab, and then it might escape. You might have seen that before. So it seems to me that there is a very, very difficult, um, it's a very difficult thing to sort of like figure out what you kind, what kind of criterion you could use to determine. What would be a good and bad environment overall? Uh, It would seem to me that the only um, way that you could um, determine uh, what a good or a bad environment is, is essentially what is good and bad for humans. Um, Because otherwise, I just don't even see any reasonable criteria that you could use um so as alex epstein as a reference earlier says you know when it comes to climate it's like well and all these impacts it's well what we're going to use is we're going to use the criteria of um of what's good for humans and that would seem to me to be effectively the only reasonable criteria that you could have now that doesn't mean you can't say that um wildlife hasn't doesn't have any sort of value, as it were, independent of humans in certain respects. But the the value of the wildlife must be subordinate to humans. Otherwise, um, there isn't really any criteria to use, unless of course we just take the idea, which is bizarre, in but is generally the idea in sort of a lot of environmentalist circles, which is human any human impact is bad, impact on the environment is bad. Why? Because we have pristine nature. And uh, anything humans do is bad because humans are unnatural, somehow. And nature without humans is natural, and it'll all be fine. And it's like that's a strange position to hold. I mean, how can humans unnatural in a certain way? Um, given that most of these environmentalists tend to be materialists uh, and atheists, that seems a very odd sort of position to hold. But nevertheless, it's a position they do seem to hold. Um, so. When it comes to what is a good environment and what is a, a bad environment, as such, I think you can only really have it on whether it's good for humans or not. Uh, Tim, do you think that's a fair assessment? Uh, that the only real standard we can use is what's good for humans, or do you think there's a, a, any other criteria that we could um, we could use?
1: I think the standard of using what's good for humans is a very good tactic, and I think it's a very good. Robust best way to go after the environmentalists, which Alex Epstein is doing a great job at. I suspect I'm somewhat, I guess, I guess to the left of you on the environments. I'm probably more sympathetic to the environmentalists than you are, uh, but in some ways the environment, to the extent that nature still exists in the modern ro- world, it's somewhat of a manufactured preserve including in Africa. So, like, one of the negative side effects of COVID was the fact that tourists aren't going to Africa, like Tanzania and places like that, and that they're basically preserves. Many national parks have fences around them. I was at Teddy Roosevelt National Park, North Dakota, and the fence broke, so the buffalo got out, the bison got out, and they had to refix the fence and herd them back in. Um, um, uh, which, again, the ranger would say they're not buffalo, they're something else. Um, um, but to the extent that we humans in a way keep these things as zoos, Yellowstone National Park is kind of a giant zoo um many of the national parks are just kind of zoos um um in that regard now there are wildernesses like the actual Amazon and actually the north like northern Siberian stuff but interesting enough speaking of I'm um, further to the left of you, if you get further enough to the left um you actually hate the environment, the environment is to be subdued, which is the Marxist position. Um to the this this is one of the ways I think I don't think I don't think a polluted environment m- most of the polluted most polluted cities in the world are in the former Soviet Union. There's probably polluted cities in China too. Um probably the places where they make the batteries for Teslas and uh 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 and for the rare earth magnet windmills. Um those are probably the most polluted cities in the world. Um um so I don't think it's good to live in a polluted environment per se. Um, um, coal mining. So, so I think it's complicated. Uh, I think there's no solutions, just trade offs. Um, and again, the envi- your comment about the environmentalists having environmentalists, they sort of they sort of operate off a hodgepodge of of inbuilt assumptions. And one of the assumptions everyone is telos purpose. Uh, you know, what is the purpose of an item? What is the purpose of man? Um, um, you know, if, if man is natural, he's part of the natural environment, so why not um, subdue it? So, again, they don't really have a clear, coherent purpose. You know, they, to some extent, many environmentalists just sort of hate man in general or well, hate humans in general. I mean, if you probably really, if you probably really, they don't really like themselves and they don't really like human civilization and they just sort of want it want it gone. Um, um so I mean I mean sometimes sometimes it might be dangerous to uh, hack away at it. And this is where things get even more fun. I think somewhat famously, the uh not the not to bring in Godwin's law here, but I think the Wehrmacht, the that that very nice regi- that the regime in uh Prussia um was somewhat environmentalist. And even the the, the show Man in the High Castle hammered home that point. Um, they just basically had giant like preserves in uh, uh, Germany in the sort of fictional um, uh, you know, what would if, you know the Germans won the second world war? um, um so so you know, the extent where environmentalism was is located is sort of tricky. I don't think a polluted environment is particularly good. Um, but as Matt Ridley points out, you know, the pre-industrial environment, which I think is your next question, was not particularly nice for the environment. I think we were in the process of cutting down all the trees, which is sort of the Malthusian thing, where the, the carrying capacity of the society is not that high. And even Hans Hoffer brings up with the hunter-gatherers. It's the myth of ecological Indian, uh, like the hunter-gatherers aren't. They hunted a lot of large mammals to ex- extinction too. So, so I, I, you know, the the Telos question hangs over it. Um, um, so. Yeah, I, I, I don't I'm not opposed to having large nature preserves. You might be more so. Um, but then again, that's just a, that's a relatively amicable difference here. I think I think in general, I agree with you. So, well,
0: well, no, I mean, I, per se, in principle, I have no objection to uh, nature reserves. Um, the question is how you could establish them, I suppose. But I suppose you could establish them by use. Of certain description, and then you could make a sort of quasi sort of um, usufruct rights uh, over them, and then turn them into some form of reserve. In a sense, I think that's possible. Whether it would be exactly the same as it is today, maybe not. But I mean, but why would you want to keep it like it is? Because humans like it. Why? Because humans like going to things places like um, Zion National Park in Utah, etc., because it's beautiful and you want to go there. So um I, I see real no com- see no real conflict. And I this is really what people in the in the environmentalist movement do. It's like they have various creatures that they like and they get upset when they get killed. Fine. You know? They don't see them going, oh no, look at this huge bird-eating spider, is dying out. No one cares about the bird-eating spiders. People care about the cute animals. And in similar ways, uh people care. Um, about uh, areas which are beautiful rather than like, uh, well, swamp, for one thing. Although swamp can be quite cool, to be fair, in some respects. So I, I don't see any a difference. I think I suppose it uh, depends on an aesthetic view as to what value you place on, as it were, nature in its sort of wild sense, so for, to what extent they are wild is in the question. Um, also, when it comes to pollution, I, I don't like pollution. Pollution is bad. And I think to a large extent, uh, pollution of certain types is caused primarily by a lack of enforcement of property rights. I mean, this goes to some sort of the old Rothbard essay. Um, oh, what's it called? He did a pollution essay, and um, and I think if you did have strict sort of enforcement of um, of property rights, such that you're living in a um, in a house, and then your air gets polluted. And when I mean pollution, I don't usually put CO2 in because that's benign, basically. Um, but it's sort of like sulfur dioxide and stuff that and causes you breathing problems or whatever, or dirties your house. Well, then you can have a you have a claim. But
1: speaking speaking of CO2, one of the funny points about CO2, which was brought up in the one in Soho debate, was that CO2 actually increases a plants' ability to grow. That's a point that Matt Ridley has made. It's a point that various of the yes sort um, uh, made in that co having more co2 like i think in uh greener greenhouses they're higher co2 counts but keep going
0: no you're right and so it's an industrial production of plants they will do is they'll put co they'll pump co2 in there in indoor production so they grow better so the idea that somehow co2 is a great evil is uh, bizarre is is genuinely bizarre um but um yeah so, so again i don't like pushing so uh, I'm not, for instance, advocating that it's good for humans to live in basically a more futuristic version of uh, 19th century London. That's far from the case. Um, So I think i views used the environment are probably somewhat closer than you think. Uh, It's just a question of um, how we come to this uh, sort of a similar conclusion.
1: I Um, will say local smog. Is a um, not a very nice thing. I've I've experienced that in Hong Kong. You get the smog. And you get this also in south. Well, you get this in more in Southern California. At least uh, you get smog. I don't think smog is particularly good for anyone. But that's more of a local problem about where you burn. That's more of a um, and actually, places like Egypt have this problem where people burn um, some sort of crop. They burn. and it just t- makes the country totally smell for like a week all while they're doing this but yeah local pollution is a problem but again no trade-offs just solutions no no solutions just trade-offs
0: oh yeah, yeah you have those I, I watched a program on oh, it was in morocco and uh, they have open air um leather um production and tim do you remember what leather is traditionally treated in to turn the hide into leather to usable for making clothes and other things. Not sure. Urine. So these open market things with basically just baths of urine. So so that they can um, they they can treat the uh, the the hides and then turn them into sort of usable leather. So again, not particularly pleasant. But again, it's going to depend on you know what their technology level is, who did it first, and a whole host of different things. But this moves on quite nicely into this. So just backtracking slightly onto the more of the weather and climate thing. So you suggested sort of Southern Virginia. Would you like to live in Southern Virginia or Virginia if you had pre-industrial technology? Do you think that would still be a good place to live? Or do you think you'd probably want to live somewhere a little bit hotter?
1: If I had pre-industrial technology, I'd actually want to live in somewhere more north. Because in pre-industrial style, you can heat yourself up, but you can't cool yourself down. Um, um, so I'd, I'd actually prefer more northern climates um, uh, without fans or air conditioners because you also get huge amounts of mosquitoes uh, uh, south of a certain line too.
0: Yeah, so with with mine, I mean, I, I'm clearly not going to want freezing winters because I, I, I lived in my parents' house in the north of England uh, one winter. And for some reason, I can't remember why, but for a while the boiler didn't work and I was in the coldest part of the house it was freezing and the thing is it wasn't snowy or particularly below cold like below 0 or below 32 um, it was just really cold and mm, you don't want that so what of these environments people kind of like you go oh yes it's really great that we have these really cold areas with all these arctic creatures it's like the reason you like this is because you can go and visit them in some very very warm attire why because it's been specifically designed to keep you warm and it has lots of modern technology which means that you're nice and warm. And guess what after you're fed up of being there in the cold for a while you can go inside and be very warm why can you go inside and be very warm is because well you have modern heating um and that's why you like it if you didn't i think more people would like probably some form of temperature whereby I don't, probably locked in Ecuador, although that still gets relatively cold. I mean, you go it go, goes go, go to eight average lows. I suppose it's not too low for overnight. Um, so like basically, everyone would want to live there because living anywhere else, I mean, you can't really do it. I mean, people say, oh yeah, we well, got to go to really hot countries. It's like, well, it's nice to be outside; it's hot, but then you go inside and you have air conditioning. Um, so uh, the reason to mention this isn't just a general point on like weather, but really the Um, The way we interact with an environment and what we think is good in an environment is bad is very, very, very covered by what our current level of technology is, because it means that we can um, manipulate the environment to suit human needs in a way that you otherwise couldn't. And so your perspective on what what is considered good or not uh, is highly, highly um, influenced in in uh, in that respect, um, and and also Tim, as, as you rightly point out, uh, hunter-gathering, for instance, is a very 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 inefficient way of doing things. Uh, you can't produce very much per square mile, so you have to hunt everything, and so the the um, populations of buffalo or deer or whatever will diminish. Whereas if you do agriculture, for instance, you can actually increase the populations. I mean, for instance. I severely doubt the world cow uh, population would be as high as it was if people didn't farm them and eat them. As an aside, interesting thing is, I was reading research for this on cattle, is a lot of environmentalists go, oh, no, you should eat less meat. And I suppose there is an argument you can make an environmental one for that. But but animal products in general, animals can live basically anywhere. Well, not all of them, but um, the range of environments that you can raise cattle in or you can raise sheep or goats is far more divergent than it can be for rice i mean rice you basically have to live with a place of massive rainfall otherwise it's not going to grow uh, potatoes are, are quite good you can grow those in lots of different places but if you look around online to try and figure out you know what's going to be a, a good place to grow things it's crops are very um particular about where they, they they're going to be grown so uh, like the corn belt in the US, I mean, what you need is soils are, um, are deep and fertile and rich in organic materials, nitrogen, and the land is relatively level with warm nights, hot days, well-distributed rainfall, and that's the best conditions for corn. Well, okay, that seems not very common everywhere. Now, of course, there's different um, staple crops in different areas, but um, it's far from the case what well, As I looked at any of the major crops, apart from maybe potatoes, which grow everywhere, nothing is really great to grow in England. I mean, we've got some places we can grow corn, but it's nowhere as good as the US uh, for it. But animals, on the other hand, they can eat stuff that humans can't eat. And as long as you've got some greenery there, they can eat it and they can survive similar things, say, with uh, chickens. Chickens basically eat anything and most of them in the wild eat bugs and uh, worms. Now, I know various uh, groups are trying to get humans to eat more bugs and more more um, uh, worms. But, you know, I'd rather the chickens eat them than I eat like the chicken. Uh, that seems a much uh, more favorable way of doing things. So, Tim, um, any comments with respect to uh, the effect of uh, human technology on the way we view the environment and uh, how we approach it uh, in general?
1: Oh, and the human's technology has had a transformative effect on the environment. Um, It's somewhat unrecognizable. I I don't know much more I could add to it, uh, to what you said there before. Again, I'm more sympathetic to certain aspects. Of the environmentalists in general, I guess I guess I have a similar I have a similar view towards you know people people want to tear down um um uh well see some of the paleocons have similar ideas like you know why tear down this old neighborhood uh uh apparently like I was reading about urban development there were some 1950s. Mara just wanted to tear down like half of Paris, France and put in high rise housing. Uh, I think that's a be a foolish idea. So I am more sympathetic to like keeping certain aspects of forest ground, but with, with the known caveat that forests up until like forests were going down consistently. So like, so like the idea that the, you know, they were cutting down all the forests to, uh, uh make keep up population growth. This is where I think environmentalists just hate humans somewhat. Um, Environmentalism is a very environmentalism. I think is is a, to some extent is a hyper modern position. Poor societies don't care about their environments. Um, um, they're you know, which is one of the reasons why the Soviet Union didn't care about the environment. Um, um, um yeah, uh. So, like, you asked where does wealth come from, but then again, um, <laughs> I uh, I, I, I don't think, I, I, I am, I am more sympathetic, not just wanton um um destruction uh so to speak of of various things. But that could be only done with humans here. So that, that that's my comment. We've we transformed it. It's quite clear. But those are my comments.
0: On the um the growth of trees, I mean one of the main reasons um well there's two reasons I think I read which is why there's more tree growth now. Uh the argument is um if the average world temperature is slightly higher which I think increases average rainfall on average and makes the earth more green and and more CO2 means they can grow better. Uh, And also we don't use um, wood for uh, ships anymore. And also there's much less paper production uh, because everything is online. And so there's much less demand for paper. And so the forest can grow. And again, I I quite like forest. It's fine. Um, It's just, trying to answer the question um in like a world sense as a lot of the environmentalist i
1: ask you a question do yeah, you yeah, think go do you think i'm correct to say that the environmentalists just somewhat um hate humans or hate civilization i i don't know if I, on the episodes i keep bringing up i brought up primitivism somewhat mm-hmm. um uh to some extent or various episodes do you think environmentalists Just hate humans. I mean, you see these articles. NPR had a famous, funny article. Like they had a married couple, both like Harvard academics or something. And said, "Oh, can we have one child? What about? Isn't this going to cause a future? (laughs) He's a carbon consumer or something like that." Um, There, you know, there's always seems to be sneakily hidden behind them a sort of general animosity to humans in general or civilization. But as we pointed out in our some of our early episodes, the sort of primitive societies are reaction oftentimes about reactionary or savage. Yes. You know, to some extent. So, uh, uh, so, so Swithin, do you think they hate humans of some degree?
0: I think what you have is, especially in the West, in the way that um, Marxism, you could consider a Christian heresy. So is environmentalism. Uh, Environmentalism. Uh, though places original sin of um, on humans not stewarding the world as they should do. And a lot in like Christian left circles, they will talk about um, oh stewardship of the earth and good stewardship. And then I'm like, well, what does that even look like? And most of the time, it's uh, pro environmental policies. But then the question begs the question: is what's can, what is a pro environmental question? I mean. Uh, policy for instance i mean what's an an anti-environment policy look like i don't know because it depends on the standard of comparison that we're going to be using so yes i I, um but uh, yes i do think there is the idea of um that they dislike certain humans i think that's certainly true um and i think it's sort of like uh probably some sort of uh, a displacement theory. I mean, maybe. Well, actually, go, go go all sort of Freudian. Maybe did they hate themselves. A,
1: for example, I had a, in in college. I I took a I took an introduction to world religions, and supposedly this guy was like a part time liberal minister. And when he uh, brought up the line about they should fill the earth, um, what he said was, uh, seven billions enough or something like that. That's what he said. No joke. That's what he said, or something like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> mm. that is unsurprising uh, so yeah I, I do get the impression they do dislike humans um, I suppose you could argue to some extent with the environmental it's a certain sort of elitism of, of a bad kind that there are better and worse humans and the worst humans should be sort of removed from the gene pool but then you get the bizarre thing that they, they, they then they don't have children um, it, it seems to be some sort of psychological complex Uh, of of some description but yeah i I do get the impression they don't like humans particularly Um, which is odd because a lot of the environmentalist movement is infiltrated with sort of marxism and marxism has the the view that they like humanity in general but don't really like anybody in particular whereas the environmentalists would seem to take the position that we don't really like humanity in general humans are bad but we kind of like some humans so it's 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 kind of a a interesting uh, foil um in in that respect, um, but to go back to one of your points before, which I think is interesting with respect to uh, human interaction with the environment is uh, you suggest, you said that um, some paleocons would, would complain about pulling down various parts of Paris to place it with high rise flats. This then raises the question uh, which is never really discussed in the context of the environment is can human development make an environment more beautiful? Do you think that's possible, or do you think any um, human activity makes the, sort of the world around us less aesthetically pleasing?
1: Can it? Sure, I think can make it more beautiful. I um, this is one of the areas where Star Wars is actually quite interesting. Some of the cities they have they have these sort of like forests showing them. They probably have been enhanced somewhat um, um, technolo- technologically. Um, can it make it more beautiful? Sure. I mean, you know, you see gardens. Again, beauty is a sort of opaque thing. I, I think the first, I mean, uh, I, Tim Dillon, a, a comedian, likes to make fun of U.S. national parks and says, they're just holes in the ground. They're just red walls. Who cares? Um, <laughs> so there is that view. But then again, I could have the same view towards music. Like, oh, it's just noise. Who cares? Um, um, so, so, you know, as long as Cynicism is fine, as long as it's relatively consistent, but you can't have consistent cynicism. Um so I I unless you really want to be a cynic. Um so I I I um, I think it can enhance it, uh, but in some ways then it's not natural. But then again, what it begs the question of what exactly is natural. So yeah, environmentalists are just to me a, a bag of human hating contradictions, but that, that's to be expected. But that would be my answer.
0: What brought this home to me was I was uh, near me in a place called Dartmouth which is a very upmarket expensive uh, town in the southwest of England uh, which has a river uh, runs through it and there was a sketch of what it looked like before there was much civilization there and it was basically just a river and some relatively like green hills and that was basically it. Now in reality would it have looked probably more interesting probably but not particularly interesting nor spectacular. But now it has loads of houses on it and the houses are quite well built and look quite nice. And now because you have them there, it's actually a much more attractive place than otherwise would. Now, obviously it's the case that humans can make things like tower blocks and the brutalist um, tradition, which make things look worse. Obviously true, but um, human development, I mean, if you look at, say, nature, as it were, uh, people tend to go to um, very specific parts of nature because they are particularly interesting. Because, I mean, I don't really think many people are going to turn up to, say, uh, lots of the big um, flats of desert in Nevada, for instance. I mean, they might for uh, uh, a variety because you haven't seen them before, but locals, it's, like, well, it's just it's just flat, This is boring, it's hard, and it's horrible. Um, It's not particularly a a beautiful uh, environment. Um, Not to say desert can't be, but that um, nature left on its own devices isn't necessarily always the best looking or best, most interesting thing possible. Uh, And I think this is generally ignored to a large extent, although you could argue is reflected to some extent in uh, zoning or planning codes. although it's that's only really in sort of like, i don't know if the Amer- america has it. i imagine they do in england for instance you have like listed buildings and you can't change them uh beyond uh a particular amount so they maintain their sort of their historic um their historic um look and things like that and that's so cool. i imagine um, character that's it yeah, yeah 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 and I'm pretty sure saying that central um, Paris they have similar things to that so it's quite difficult to build new uh, uh, properties and stuff but the reason they're good is well, because it looks better if you have them um, I'd also make a point here as well is uh, the richer a country is in general they're going to have a, a more beautiful environment I mean if you look at um, wooden built structures prior to the industrial revolution I mean there are some nice ones but I mean I, I would take, take Iron Age um, roundhouses in England, they're just they're round, they're one room they're just a wooden uh, sort of circle effectively with a, like a thatched roof and it's like, it's not particularly interesting um, you know, having more uh, a richer society in which you build more elaborate buildings makes the environment uh, a, a one where you kind of want to um live uh it, you know if if you had ones we' just be the ugly buildings and now obviously lots of new buildings are ugly and that's sort of a bad thing but um it's going to make a difference uh to the the environment in which you you, you kind of operate um, so um, if then a a good environment i mean the environment that we have uh in in the world as such is going to be determined, at least in part by human influence, as we pointed out, that you know humans kind of make the environment in which we live somewhat uh, better, at least for humans. Um, how do you think this should influence, uh, if anything, uh, energy policy? Now, I know this is a slightly different uh, topic than we've done before, but it is related. Um, What do you think should be like a a general sort of criteria for um, determining uh, energy policy? Because a lot of the time um, the ideas behind sort of like renewable energy, quote unquote, which is basically always wind and solar, uh, is, oh, yes, we need to um, reduce impact. That's what it's all about, reducing impact. And that's the uh, the criterion that is used now. The question is whether or not it does reduce impact is not the question. Uh, there's, there's reason to believe that it doesn't, um, but that's kind of the criteria. So if we take the view that, at least to a uh, to to some extent, what's going to be a good environment for humans to exist in is going to be determined by uh, human direct influence, you know, by air conditioning or other uh, heating or cooling things. Um, how do you think this should, if at all, influence the motivation behind sort of a like governmental energy policy would um, uh, reducing impact be the right thing, or should you have, for instance, maybe a policy of sort of like uh, maximal energy generation? That is, uh, we want to produce as much energy as we can so that we can manipulate the external environment to best suit human needs. What do you, what do you think might be a, 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 um, a, a an appropriate uh, approach to that sort of question?
1: It somewhat relates back to tell us here. I mean, what what is your end goal? Uh, um, it depends on what your end goal is. Your end goal is to produce more electricity. Um, then, 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 then it's unclear that windmills are, are currently the way to go. Uh, uh, for one thing, um, windmill farms are quite, well, it depends. They can be quite novel to look at, or they can quite be quite hideous to look at. Um, you know, I. Both cans, the I, I've done extensive amounts of, I've ridden through, in Sardinia, Italy, for example, the whole island is basically just covered with um, uh, windmills. I think there's, I probably saw, there's like probably 4,000 windmills on the island of Sardinia, probably more than that. Um, um, same way with Kansas. Kansas is, Western Kansas is basically full of windmills. Um, it, it, it basically, at night when you're driving, it, the whole area blinks because they all have, uh, so they don't get hit by airplanes, they just blink. Um, uh, you can see them for miles. And I'll get I'm neither for nor against that. Again, I'm sort of neutral on questions like this. I have a similar view as music here. Uh, you know, if windmills are the way to go, then it's just the cost of having, uh, you know, uh, 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 internal energy. But then, why can't we just have coal mines or, or uh, you know, just have one chipping pit and then you can mine more coal? I think the one of the deepest ones is Montana. Um, like the deepest one is probably in China, uh, but uh, you can just uh, just have one coal mine. So uh, my my idea would be energy maximization, but but then again, it depends on what you want. Uh, if you want to make things worse off for people, then don't have a policy of energy maximization. But you also don't want to be stupid either. Um, um, so it, it's unclear, and this is where I think libertarians, if I have to offer a self-critique. Sometimes went both ways. It could be that industrialization couldn't have happened without the mega trampling over uh, 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 pollution rights. I mean, I, I um, you know, like uh, coal mining did leave behind a legacy of coal piles and stuff like that. Although then they were all filled in um, um, to some extent. So, so you know, the idea that you could fill it in later or fix it later when you're richer may be the the case. Um, but but energy maximization is a tricky question. The shale revolution in, in the United States has been a boom for the United States and turned certain areas into boom tens um, in a way. Uh, uh, it's also it's also local energy too, so you don't have to pipe it in from Saudi Arabia or Russia, uh, uh, which now is, I think, Europe's biggest uh, energy supplier. So they don't care about it, so they'll mine. They have plenty of stuff. So the, the, my... my Energy maximization, but the question is where. I think I don't. I think you can have a somewhat responsible idea that you can set aside some areas, but some areas you should just go for it. I mean, if you're going to set up windmills to power modern civilization, you need a lot of them, and you're going to need a lot of magnets for them. And you need to find, uh, you need to process those magnets to create the turbines. Um, so th- that's my view.
0: I would um, broadly say energy maximization. Uh, is going to be uh, the way forward. The more energy you have, the more you can manipulate the environment to uh, suit human needs. And the more it's suited to humans, the better the environment is. Uh, now, does that mean that we do open cast uh, mining everywhere and burn things, which are going to create that be bad for uh, human lungs and things like that and smog? Well, no, because again, you've taken into account the full cost principle. If people are paying for uh, these or compensate people in the areas, then fine. Um, and Of course, they get an injunction to do so. But I think, um, I mean, especially now with, I mean, it's, it's an interesting question as to whether or not you would have got the same technological development without sort of like the large corporations from the 19th century onwards. Uh, but given the fact where we are now, uh, there's lots of um, energy uh, methods, which are very clean. I mean, coal is basically pretty clean now. I mean, the case against coal was CO2. And if we ignore the case of the CO2, coal is actually a, a cheap and reliable energy source. Um, and the impact, say, for the, envi- like the human environment, as it were, with not having cheap and reliable energy is you could have power cuts. Now, that's bad for multiple reasons. One, if you're in the, in the, in the, in the winter, you might not be able to heat your home. And if it's cold, you could, old people could die because they can in that case. Uh, and I suppose hospitals or other institutions don't have the electricity they need well, because you've had a power cut. Clearly, you're going to want um, cheap, reliable energy. Um, and so to, from my research, that seems to be coal or nuclear. Uh, nuclear seems to be... Uh, uh, thorium reactors seem to be better than the standard fission reactors, which seem to have been uh, um, favoured by uh, the government's primarily because you can turn it into nuclear weapons. Uh, so it's, it's the case in the US, that's at least uh, according to, um, ah, I can't remember his name, uh, an American guy who's been in some thorium, um, thorium sort of reactors. So I think nuclear and coal, like coal in the short run, some form of nuclear in the long run. And also the point x time makes is the more energy, and more intensive we can have conservation in any particular area, it means you can leave more areas wild, so he argues actually it's a good thing you can have like intensive fish farming, for instance. Because it means that you can leave more space to have wild fish that you can go and enjoy in your spare time. You can go and see them where you can fish them and put them back for sport and they can have a lot of them. Why? Because you don't need to eat them all. Uh why? Because you've got these farm ones which satisfy most people. Um so I think the extent to which you can have very sort of localized, intense um Energy production means effectively you can then have much more concentrated human uh, activity in certain areas, which then means you can leave more of it to the wild. Now, again, the extent to which you want to leave it wild is another question, because I do think there are um, that things can be better, can look better if they have human activity. I mean, a lot of the European cities, for instance. I mean, I mean to be fair, I'm a, um, Florence, for instance, instance, instance. Very beautiful city. Would probably be worth seeing if there was no buildings. But frankly, it looks better because it has the buildings. And it kind of complements the environment. And I think this is one of the major things I think is a good takeaway here is human impact on the environment doesn't necessarily detract from it or make it worse. Uh, human impact is complementary and it can actually enhance it. And it's not always the case that leaving things uh, in its sort of a quote unquote natural state is, in fact, a good thing uh tim any final comments you'd like to make no excellent just like to thank everyone for listening if you've enjoyed this please share it with your friends and family and subscribe to us on uh pop in on youtube the more subscribers we get the higher we get in the search rankings and if you'd like to contact the show for any reason please contact us at mindcryinglibertyshow at gmail.com that's mindcryinglibertyshow at gmail.com